verse number seven today. Says these words, Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. And I have sent him to you for this very purpose. That you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. With him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. They have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, and to Nympha, and the church, and her house. And this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. See that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. The word of the Lord this morning. You know, we've probably all seen an award show or presentation or whatever where the person who is receiving the award takes the time to express appreciation and gratitude toward those who've helped them along the way receive that award. It's always interesting to to hear, to see the gratitude expressed for all of those who have helped this individual, those who took a chance and believed in that person. And now, of course, as they are being honored, they go and return the honor to those who have been there with them along their journey. Like I said, it's interesting because we, we realize that no individual makes it through life merely on their own. Each of us have had individuals who have pushed prodded, who challenged, who have helped us to get to the place where we are. And so while it's tempting to laugh at, you know, some of these actresses and actors and athletes and all these divas who talk about the little people that they think during their acceptance speeches, 
Of course, we know that without the help and assistance of others, we would not be anywhere at all in life, whether we're a world-class actor or athlete, merely a normal person living in a normal town in a small corner of this great country. We need the help of others. And so it's perfectly understandable why the Apostle Paul would finish his letters by taking a few moments to thank those who have helped him along the path to those who have been there in the journey. Paul, as again, as mentioned several times throughout going through the book of Colossians here, he has talked about the reality of who Christ is, the superiority of Christ over all other deities, over all other powers. We've mentioned about the fact that in Christ we have all that we need. We don't need to add to His work in our lives in any way, shape, matter, or form. We've talked about how the reality is that when we are in Christ, we have been given this new life to live, and now the apostle lays down his pen. Before he does, though, he wants to take time to express gratitude, to thank, to remember those who have been there as he has labored on behalf of this church, Aaron Klosha. And so it's easy, really, if we're not careful, to say, well, we've gotten past the heart of the book, the meat of the book. It's easy to simply pass off these last few verses as the writings of a man who's thinking the little people, the people who have helped him in his journey and have helped the church of Colossians. But really, when you read and, and look at these words, you realize there are valuable lessons for us to discover. Even through these words of appreciation and gratitude. And so as we consider these last few verses, we find ourselves asking a couple of questions. First of all, who are these individuals? Secondly, what can we learn? What can we learn from these lies? How, how did these lies affect the Apostle Paul? And how can you and I live in a way that imitates them? Brings glory to Christ. And so we go through a list of these individuals and we notice, first of all, Demas. Demas, the one who walked away. The one who walked away. The first individual I want to focus on to look at today is this, this man, Demas. Now, Demas, when you read his name in, in Colossians here, and, and you read Paul mentioning him, you really don't see a whole lot about him. Verse 14 of chapter 4 tells us that Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. And he moves right on to someone else, to, to the brothers in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that is in her house. And so you read that and you think, okay, Demas greets you, so what? We really don't want to look here. We want to look at another time he has mentioned in Scripture. Demon is mentioned, Demas is certainly mentioned here, and he's also mentioned in verse 14 of the book of Philemon. I believe that Philemon was probably from the church in Colossia. And so he's mentioned again in that book, but then he is also mentioned in Paul's last letter, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 10 tells us these words for Demas. 
And love with this present world has deserted me. He's gone to Thessalonica. Grecians has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. And although the dating of these letters that Paul wrote is, is sometimes uncertain, most scholars place the letter of Colossians somewhere in the late 50s AD, maybe early 60s. Letters to Timothy, especially the second letter, the last letter that Paul wrote was probably written somewhere in the later 60s AD. So somewhere we can piece together that in a five to ten year time span, Demas, this dear friend and companion of Paul, is one who was with Paul on his journeys, at least part of them, at least somewhere was with the Apostle Paul who was devoted to his work, to the ministry that God had given them. This man, Demas, his dear friend decides it's no longer worth it to continue to serve the Apostle Paul, to serve with the Apostle Paul. He somewhere has decided between here and the writing of Colossians and writing of Philemon to the writing of 2 Timothy, the Paul's last words that we have before he is executed, he has decided that there are things in this world that are more precious, that are more important than serving God. This is the point. How many of us know someone? Someone who is faithful to God. Someone who is faithful to the church. Someone who is devoted to God. And yet somewhere down the road, something else has cropped up. Something else has shown up in their lives. Something else has become far more important to them than their relationship with God. And they put it on the back burner and they've decided, maybe I should go somewhere else. There are things out there are more precious, more valuable. Maybe, maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're here this morning, but, you, but you, if you were to be honest in your heart, the, the things of this world are, are pulling at your heart. What is it? What is that desire? What is, what is that tug? Is it, is it the tug of, of just a little bit more money? I mean, I could really have a nice house. I could have a, a beach house. I could have something else if I would just get a little bit more money. Maybe it's a, a tug of a, of a relationship you should not be involved in. And you think, maybe, maybe that person will provide what I need. What is that desire? What is that tug? I ask you an honest question. Do you really, really think that that thing, that pursuit you are on, will really be worth it in the end? These guys worked so hard all year round, and last Sunday is the culmination of all their hard work as. They're named Super Bowl champions. No, they're so excited and they're so glad. And, and yet you probably want to ask every single one of them has won a Super Bowl or a World Series or an NBA championship or whatever it is. You, you want to ask them one day when they stand before God. Was pursuing that really, really worth it? 
Man works and he labors and he sells his stock and all of a sudden he's on Forbes' list of 400 richest men in the world and he's number one and, and you want to ask him when you stand before God on that day. Is all those billions that you have pursued really, really worth it in the end? Jesus asked that very question in Mark chapter 8, didn't he? So what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? What are the things that you are pursuing, that you are desiring, that are taking you away from God and you're saying, if only I will have this. And I know I will find what I want in life. Reality is it will not provide what you want. There's only one thing that man needs, and that is a right relationship with God. And outside of that, nothing, nothing matters. And yes, it is nice to have things. And, and yes, I watched the football game last week. Yes, I'm from Kansas City, and I watched Yes, it would be nice to have a home on the beach somewhere south where it's warm. And if you have one, please invite me to come down there today because it's cold up here. <laughs> but do these things ultimately matter in the end? You know that old song we sing there, hold to God's unchanging hands, says covet not this, this world's vain riches. Why? Because they are so rapidly going to decay. Seek to gain the heavenly treasures. Things that will never, never pass away. Paul in his greeting refers to Demas. Demas at this time is a dear friend, a faithful companion in ministry. Little did Demas know, or did Paul know that in a few years, Demas would say, Paul, it's not worth it. I want to go. Chase after the things of this world. May it never be said of you and I. We were the one who walked away. Paul refers to Demas, the one who walked away, but the good news is Paul also mentions, secondly, Mark. Mark, the one who came back. The one who came back. Notice again verse 10 here with me. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. All right, we know the name Mark, obviously. He believe we, he authored the second book of the New Testament. Obviously, it bears his name. Paul identifies him as a cousin of Barnabas. And perhaps you might recall that Paul and Barnabas had a relationship, a close relationship. They worked closely together, but this working relationship, this, this close relationship actually became fractured and soured. And the reason it did is because of an individual named Mark. You see, in Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas were, were sent out from the church in Antioch as the first missionaries. We know that their, one of their companions on their trip was Mark. 
And they went out and they began to, to take their journeys. And, and in Acts chapter 15, we, we read of what happens to Mark. Acts 15 verse 37, now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. Okay, this is on a, a second journey. But Paul thought best not to take with him one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose such a sharp disagreement. So that they, Paul and Barnabas, separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and he sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of God. So just to sum it up, Paul and Barnabas are spreading the gospel and Mark for whatever reason. Their homesickness or with, unable to withstand the, the hardships that were coming on the journeys that they're going on decided that he would be better to leave to go back home and that upset the apostle paul he he didn't want anything to do with mark he he didn't think mark was capable of going on these journeys and and being a part of the ministry that, that god had called the apostle paul to and he's so upset over what Mark had done, that when Barnabas suggests, hey, we should bring him, Paul and Barnabas wind up fracturing their relationship over the fact that Barnabas wanted to bring Mark. And Paul said, no, we can't bring a guy. We can't, we can't take someone with us who might turn around and want to go home. When Mary went to Kenya, 2015, for the first time, of course, we have a Dave Dowling. Many of you know him or whatever, but one of the rules he had on his mission strip is that they were not allowed to, to use their phones. And I can understand why. It took a lot of teenagers, a lot of kids, and it's kind of hard to get a kid from Kenya back to the United States. You just can't, you know, run down to a bus depot and drop them off. I didn't tell him that the problem wouldn't be that Mary would want to come home. The problem is she might not want to come home being with those kids there at the orphanage. You see, whatever happened here, we don't know. We obviously know that Mark didn't get on his iPhone and FaceTime his mama or call him or whatever, but something happened and Paul said, there's no way I can take this guy. He's not, he's not going to be an asset. And yet by the time Paul writes his letters, somehow this relationship has been restored. Somehow they have been brought back together. And Mark, the one who went home, the Mark, the, the one who left, the Mark, the one who, who wanted to walk away, somehow comes back to Paul. People wonder what these instructions were that he mentions. They're in a comma or in the apostrophes, I should say. Some commentators speculate that it might be instructions. Instructions, hey, hey, you've heard of what Mark has done, but whatever you've heard about it, don't hold that against him. Don't hold his transgression against him. You have been given instructions. Let the past be in the past. Let the, let the bygones be bygones and receive him as one of my very own. 
or whatever these instructions were. The story of Mark is truly a story that many of us, many of us can see and perhaps personalize. Because we realize in the story of Mark, we see the story of a God who gives second chances. A God of forgiveness. A God who will not hold our sins against us forever. Maybe maybe you're here this morning. You've been like Demas, the tug and the pull of the things of this world have, have been calling your name and yet you are here this morning. It's not by accident. You're here because God has been calling your name. Because God wants you to know that there is hope, that there is a second chance, that it's never too late to call upon Him. It's never too late to come and find the Father's arms are open wide, ready to receive you. A story that Jesus tells of the prodigal. That picture of the Father is the picture of our Heavenly Father who is looking a long way off, looking, begging, pleading, asking, when will you come? When are you coming back? When will you come back home? The Spirit is calling to you this morning. We go back to 2 Timothy. We read what Paul says about Mark at an even later time. Paul says these words, Luke alone is with me. Get Paul Mark. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Paul, knowing that the only way he's getting out of this jail is in a body bag, is sentimental in these words in 2 Timothy, and he's saying, I want to see Mark again. He has been so useful. He has been such a blessing. He has been such an asset in my life. I wonder as Mark sat there, sat there alone, having left the ministry group, as he goes back home, I wonder if he sits there and thought, maybe I've messed up. Maybe I've gone too far. Maybe it's too late. Maybe it's over. And yet somehow the relationship is restored. Paul receives him again. And more importantly, more importantly, the Lord receives him back. You see, we have Demas, the one who walks away. We have Mark, the one who comes back. Thirdly, we have Archippus. Archippus, the one who needed, needed encouragement. Who's Archippus? Again, we don't have a lot of information. It's mentioned again in the book of Philemon in verse 2. That Aphia, our sister, and Archippus is our fellow soldier. The church, it is in your house. Paul greets him as he opens that letter. Obviously, he was a fellow worker in ministry. Paul called him a, a soldier, and it's not because necessarily he was a, a Roman soldier. He's just speaking about a soldier in the army of God. And yet, as we look at Paul's greeting to him here in Colossians 4, verse 17, we read these words, say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry, the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Of course, scholars are not clear on what kind of ministry Archippus had been given. What is clear from this greeting from these 
Closing words of the Apostle Paul is that these words are, are given to encourage a spur on Archippus to remain faithful to what God has called him to do. For whatever reason, Archippus finds himself wondering, is it worth it? Is it worth all the stress, all the monotony, all the work? Is it really worth it? And Paul wants to tell him this morning, keep on, go on, press on, remain faithful. It is indeed worth it all. Maybe you find yourself in that situation. Is it worth it? Is it worth all the work, all the preparation? Is it really, really worth it on a cold February morning when there's so much snow on the ground and you'd rather stay in bed? Is it really worth it to get my kids out of bed and take them to church? Is it worth it to be a friend to that co-worker who's continually abusive and mean and hateful and yet you realize that they need Christ in their lives? You realize God has placed you in their life and that job so that you can be Christ to them. Maybe you find that weariness setting in your life, but let me encourage you today, whatever you do, remain faithful to what God has given you. Fulfill the ministry. Do the work that God has called you to do. The old joke, the old saying is, of course, the youngest of the family has it so easy. Because, you're, you know, by the time you get to your last kids, you just kind of give up and let them get away with whatever they want. It's not true in our house, despite what two people here might tell you. <laughs> it is something that you learn, again, what to do, what not to do. Maybe, I guess, we're not totally there yet, but somehow you can see the end of the road from where we are. And yet, as we remind ourselves, it is worth it. We must keep on keeping on. We must press on. We must remain faithful to living Christ in front of them, to bringing Him to church, to telling Him about Jesus. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let us do good. Let us continue to do good. Let us continue to press on. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us, let us continue how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As Jim said, we are getting close to that time. Temptation to give up, to quit, to walk away is so strong. But if we will just hold on a little bit longer. The story is told of William Wilberforce who was discouraged one night in the early 1790s and tried so hard to defeat the slave trade battle in England. Tired and frustrated, Wilberforce grabbed his Bible 
He began to leaf through and a small piece of paper fell out. Fell to the ground. It was a letter written by John Wesley shortly before his death. Wilberforce read it again unless the divine power, John Wesley said to him, has raised you up. I see now how you can go through your glorious enterprise opposing the abominable practice of slavery which is a scandal of religion, of England, and of human nature. Again, Wesley says, unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But then John Wesley said, but if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them stronger together than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of His might. Wilberforce pressed on and slavery was abolished in England, eventually in America. Wilberforce died and was buried in Westminster Abbey. One of the great heroes in all of England. Why? Because he kept on. He kept on pressing on. And this morning, I want to encourage you and just just challenge you again. Yes, it's going to be cold tomorrow. Get up and press on. Keep on keeping on. Keep on moving. Keep on doing what God has called you to do. Demas walked away. Mark came back. Archippus was the one who needed encouragement. Finally, finally, we have the ones who remain faithful. Ones who remain faithful. Perhaps, perhaps I should have mentioned them all individually, I guess, but I didn't know if I could think of titles for all of them, and I didn't want you to think you're going to be here until 3 o'clock this afternoon. Although I did warn some of you to take an extra cup of coffee because you might need it. Apostle Paul addresses these three men. One he didn't realize was going away. One he's glad has come back. One he needs a little encouragement. More importantly, he talks to the ones who are counted faithful. The ones who simply lived the life that honored God. We don't have time to go through these names in depth as much as we did the other three. But look at this list here beginning in verse 7. We have, we have this name Tychicus. Colossians 4, verse 7 and 8, Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. He is a, he is a beloved brother. He's a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Look at this guy, a beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant. And Paul Sends him. Why? Because he knows. He knows that Tychicus will encourage the hearts of the church in Colossia. Aren't you glad for people that you know you can count on for a word of encouragement? Aren't you glad for those who are faithful servants that you know can encourage you no matter what you're going through? Aren't you glad for those who are quick to provide a word of encouragement in your life? Can I just tell you this morning that 
words of discouragement are not spiritual gifts. There are people out there that think, oh, I've got the gift to discourage. It doesn't matter. I mean, we could, we could get a million dollars in the offering and go, well, electricity is going to be high because of how cold it is and how much you have to pay to heat. Go away. We just got a million dollars, okay? <laughs> well, I know you had more people than ever in church, but, you know, what about so-and-so? He wasn't there. It's like, well, I, you know, that song, yeah, it was, it was good, but, but I, think you, I think you missed a, missed a note there in the second verse. Just want to grab him by the neck and say, stop. Be someone who can provide encouragement. Be someone who can give encouragement. Tychicus is being sent to Colossians because Paul knows when they see this guy, they are going to be encouraged by his good news. Not just him, but we got Onesimus. Verse 9, with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, it will tell you everything that has taken place here. Onesimus, our beloved brother, the one, the one we all love, the one everyone is glad to see, the one who brings hope and joy to our hearts when we fellowship with him. This is a guy that everyone loves. Everyone recognizes how wonderful he is. By the way, you recognize the name Onesimus, don't you? Again, you go back to the book of Philemon and you realize, you realize that Onesimus is the slave that Paul writes to Philemon to tell him to welcome back. Philemon verse 10, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. His father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. And sending him back to you, sending my very heart, I would have been glad to keep him with me. In order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he has parted from you for a while, so that you may have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. You see Onesimus, Onesimus was a slave who'd ran away from Philemon, who was a member of this church. And yet somehow he had met up the Apostle Paul and somehow the connection had been made. And, and now Paul sends him back to Philemon and he says, you don't welcome him back as a common slave. You welcome him back as a brother in the Lord. In fact, many scholars believe that maybe Onesimus was a leader, an elder in the church here in Colossia. That's why Paul writes again in chapter 3 that in Christ there's no Greek or Jew, there's no circumcised or uncircumcised, there's no barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. It's amazing what God had done in the life of Onesimus. And now here he is, a beloved brother, welcome in the church. God was working in and through his life and everyone. Realize what a blessing this man was. If Aristarchus Mark, Jesus is called justice. 
Notice what we're told about these guys in verse 11. Jesus, who is called justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. These men are Jews, the only Jews that are traveling with him, Paul is traveling with a bunch of Gentiles at this time. But yet these men, these Jewish men, notice what Paul says to them, they have been a comfort. Comfort to me. Provided refreshment and comfort to my heart and my soul. This is what we should be as a church, providing comfort to each other. Letting each other know that we got you. We got your back. We are there for you. We are going to be with you no matter what it is that you are facing. Paul says, I am glad to have these men in my life because they provide great comforts. Again, if you read 2 Corinthians, you realize Paul did not exactly have it easy. And then there's Epaphras, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the work of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Epaphras prays diligently. Paul mentions in chapter 1, he wants this church to be mature and complete in Christ. He wants the church to be fully assured in all of the will of God. And, and he does this through encouraging them and teaching them and writing this letter. But he also does it because Epaphras is wrestling with God in prayer for them. Epaphras wrestled in prayer for the Colossians' his commission was represent them to Paul and assist him in any way that he could. And as he fulfilled that commission, he carried a deep concern for the church that had been established. And that concern became intercessory prayer. Specifically, he prayed for their maturity, their assurance in the will of God. His prayer recalls Paul's prayer in verses, or chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. There is an additional element that is full assurance. The term means to complete, to fill completely, and therefore may have come to mean to be convinced fully. Epaphras may have prayed for a complete understanding of the will of God. May I encourage you to pray for your brothers and sisters in this church that they, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in their life. That they would stand mature, fully assured of the goodness and mercy of God in their life. That they would stand there assured of what God is doing and how that God has begun a good work and is going to complete it. That's what Epaphras does. I don't know if the Colossian church ever knew. But Paul knew. He said, I want you to know there's a guy here that's praying for you. Finally, we need to mention verse 15, Nympha. Nympha, give my greetings to the brothers of Laodicea. To Nympha in the church. In her house. Who is this lady Nympha? We don't know, but we know that the church who did not have a building, a facility like we do. Churches there in the beginning met in 
houses. And they sit there and there's a group of believers and, and Paul is sitting there, whoever founded the church is sitting there and thinking, hey, we probably should find a place to meet. Where should, where should we get together? Nympha raised her hand and said, you guys can meet over my place. Someone had to be willing to open the doors, provide hospitality. Nympha said, I will. Notice her hospitable spirit, willing, willing to week after week, welcome the individuals day after day, however long it was, to welcome them and say, come and worship here. So what's my point in going through all of these? My point is what I have been emphasizing really since the beginning of the year when we picked this back up. This is what it means to live that new life. To become who God has called us to be. To truly live for the glory of God in our day-to-day actions and interactions with each other. The challenge for us as a church, for the church in general, is this. Will we become these individuals? Will we live this new life? It does not come on our own. It comes as you and I realize what Christ has done in our lives and we desire to live the way that God has called us to live. Again, we go back to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. You have been raised with Christ if you know Him as Savior. And now you must live this way. You must become this individual. That's not what this the world is about. The world is about me. Get, get what comes to me. Get what's best for me. Christ says, look not after your own interests, but after the interests of others. Seek to follow Him. Seek to serve Him. Seek to live for Him. That means we must seek to live also for each other. I thank God that this church does this. Thank God that I know that there are people in the church who pray fervently. Every once in a while, some of you text me and say, hey, I'm just, I want you to know I pray for you. What an encouragement and blessing it is. Thank God for those who show up week after week and they're faithful the ministry that God has called him to be. Maybe it's just to prepare coffee or maybe it's here to sing or be in some other place and you come. Thank God for you. Thank God for the many things that happen I don't even know about. And I show up and I'm like, somebody did this. I'm so glad and I'm so grateful. It's easy for us Adopt this mindset of this world and see a person as someone that we can use or take advantage of to look after our own interests. Paul says, be different. Be different. 
Let's be different as a church. What do you say? I mean, I don't, we don't have to be weirdos, okay? I'm not saying that. We can be a place where people say, you know what? They really love each other. They really love God. They really love and care for each other. They open their arms toward each other. They pray for each other. What an awesome, awesome thing to see. If you don't know Christ, if you've been tempted to walk away, I challenge you this morning to come to Him. Come and be a part of His family. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you've done. If I told you the stories of some of the people in this church, you would look at me and say, there's no way. Yeah, there was. But God changed their lives. God redeemed them and set them free. And He wants to do that for you. Let me encourage us as well as we finish this letter. Let's be who God has called us to be. A group of believers living this new life. This world needs it. It's so dark and so cold out there. They need something. They need something. We have the answer. And then let's pray this morning, shall we? Father, I come and I pray that we as a church would exist.